We want to do something kind of special at the beginning of this service and uh, as a way of, of remembering those that, uh, of our loved ones and friends that have passed on before us. Uh, that's why the Remembering the Saints wall is there, and, and, uh, and even uh, during the song that we're going to hear on a CD in a couple of minutes, if you want to go over and write somebody's name, you're welcome to do that if you haven't already done that. Um, but the reason we're going to do this is to kind of bring those folks back into our remembrance and, and use that as a way to kind of draw them into our worship. So... By doing that, we're kind of connecting the saints here with the saints there. Uh, and then that way, we're going to be all together in our worship uh, of God this morning. So um, I'm going to ask you to just, uh, we're going to have some scripture reading and, and a song. The words are printed out if you want to follow along with them, but we're going to have a song. And I want you to just remember those folks um, and recall what they've meant to you in their lives and and how their faith um, has impacted you in your life. So we'll begin with uh, the first uh, reading. A reading from Revelation, the seventh chapter. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb.
Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. A reading from 1 John, the third chapter. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for inviting me to be with you on this special day. I cannot tell you how much I've been looking forward to this ever since uh, Pastor Jim contacted me and uh, invited me to be with you. Uh, Looking forward to it for two reasons. First of all, just to meet you, uh, hearing from afar uh, your story of, of the formation of your congregation and how you come, came together so quickly. And so just wanting to share in your joy and your excitement and, and see it firsthand for myself. But secondly, because this is the first time I've ever been asked to preach intentionally to connect All Saints Day with Consecration Sunday and Stewardship and Mission. In fact, I've, I've mentioned this to a few people, including my own pastor, when I told him I wasn't going to be there at worship this Sunday, and he said, where are you going to be? And I told him, and I told him, by the way, this is what we're doing. And he said, you're doing what? <laughs> um, so, I, as soon as I thought about it, and then especially when Pastor Jim gave me the text that uh, you've chosen for your worship, I thought, well, this is going to be fun. Now, I should tell you, the other thing he told me is I could preach as long as I wanted, (laughs) which is a dangerous thing to say to a preacher, but (laughs) I'll try not to to do that. The text that, and I'm going to be working with lots of texts, so I apologize, but the primary text is that reading from 1 John chapter 3, and uh, we heard a part of it in the Confession and the Absolution, but I want to to go back and read uh, most of that chapter. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everything, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. 
Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Powerful text from, from John, woven into our confession and absolution. One of the clearest statements of what the Lutheran Church has emphasized that namely, we are simultaneously totally saints and sinners as long as we have life and breath in this creation. And so that's why the chapter begins is what we are going to be has not yet appeared. <laughs> that is, we won't be totally, completely, nothing but a saint until Jesus comes, until the last day. And what's a saint? A saint is someone who is just as pure, just as righteous, just as holy as God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus gave us his righteousness, his purity, his holiness. The Holy Spirit has sanctified us in our baptisms every day. But, of course, we live in this creation, which is passing away. We live in these bodies, which are passing away, always with this constant conflict. Children of the devil, children of God. A sinner, a saint. Now, it doesn't matter either way. God owns all sinners, and all saints. Let's start with God owning all sinners. And by all sinners, I literally mean all sinners, because every human being, save Jesus, was conceived in sin and is a sinner through and through. And so I'm talking about all sinners, not just Christian sinners or Jewish sinners, but I'm talking about Hindus, 
Muslims, atheists, agnostics, everyone. God owns every single sinner. Why? Because God made everything. And because he made it, it's his property. So here's just a sampling of what you hear over and over again in the Old Testament, starting with the Psalm, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Psalm 50, verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. God doesn't need anything from us. It's all his to begin with. Or Psalm 89, verse 11, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it, you have founded them. And then in many other books, but I'll just read one from Job, the 41st chapter, verse 11. God says to Job, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. He made it, he owns it, it's his property. Which means, as sinners, everything we are, everything we have, is God's property. And what do we do as sinners when God says, you're mine? And especially in the United States of America, where we take pride in Freedom, free to be whoever we want to be. It's my life. I can do whatever I want with my life, right? Those of you who are old enough to remember Frank Sinatra, that song that most epitomizes (laughs) our stubborn, independent freedom, I did it my way, right? That's who we are as sinners, We completely reject the creator, the one who made us, the living God, and say, no, I don't belong to you or anybody else. I belong to myself. I can do whatever I want with my life. And I can do whatever I want with my property. And so as sinners, what do we do? We grumble and complain that so much of our property, so much of our hard earnings have to be used for someone else, right? Why do I have to pay so much to the grocery store? Why do I have to pay? Well, gas has come down, so it's cheaper now. Actually, you can get two gallons for, <laughs> or a gallon for $2 now. So <laughs> who would have thought that's possible? But, but still, we grumble and complain. Why do I have to pay so much for my mortgage or for my rent? Why does it cost so much to get my clothes dry cleaned? We grumble and complain, thinking that it's our property and we should be able to do whatever we want with it. But God is in charge. He's the creator. He owns everything. And what does he do with all of our grumbling and complaining as we pay all of these bills? He does what we ought to do. That is, love our neighbor as ourselves. He uses his property to take care of the grocer, the car mechanic, the banker, you name it. He's going to make sure that our neighbors around us are cared for. Even if we don't want to be good stewards of his property and we want to keep it for ourselves, he's going to make sure 
that his property gets used for the sake of the neighbor. And oh, by the way, he cares about us too. We grumble and complain that we don't have enough, but the truth is, especially in the United States of America, we have more than enough. God is good. He blesses us immensely. He takes care of us in all kinds of ways. So, God owns all sinners. But he also owns all saints. He laid down his life for us. We rejected God. We would rather be children of the devil. We didn't believe God's promise that he had given us everything that we needed in the garden, including eating from the tree of life to live forever, have eternal life. We didn't believe it. We weren't satisfied. We weren't content. We wanted to be like God. And so we and our ancestors, Adam and Eve, all ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The devil was right in one sense. Yes, you'll come to know good and evil, but know it in the sense that you'll fully participate in the evil and be so much in bondage to it that you won't even be able to discern the difference between good and evil. In Genesis 6, verse 5, when God looks into the human heart outside of the Garden of Eden, what can he find in the human heart? Nothing but evil thoughts and inclinations all the time, continuously. That's all he can find. In chapters 1 and 2 in Genesis, when God looks at what he's made, everything is good, very good. Seven times he says it's good. The seventh time, very good. But when we rebel against him, guess what? Everything turns completely rotten. And see what love the Father has for us, that he would actually send his only begotten Son into this world to lay down his life for us. To redeem us, to rescue us, to literally take us out of death into life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. A temple of the Holy Spirit has to be a completely pure, righteous, and holy temple. And that's who we are in Christ Jesus. When we are baptized into his death and resurrection, we are little, mobile, moving, portable, traveling temples of the Holy Spirit. That's who we are now. But of course... It doesn't appear that way. And we know it because we confess our sin and our unrighteousness. But at the same time, even though it may look like the only thing that's true about us is that we are sinners through and through, 
the absolute, final, ultimate, eternal truth about us is that we are children of God. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are not our own. We belong completely to God as saints, as his children. And it is the promise of eternal life. So now we're going to transition from all saints to stewardship. When you read through the Old Testament and you get all these commandments about what offerings God's chosen people are are to give, you hear over and over again that God commands them, make sure that you give me your first fruits. That is, when you plant your fields and you get your first crop, I want the first crop. And oh, by the way, I want your firstborn. I literally want your, the firstborn in your herds and your flocks. I won't take your firstborn child. But I do want you to at least dedicate your firstborn child to me. Think about that. I won't take your firstborn child. Why? Because God knows that he's going to give his only begotten son to die for us, to rescue us, to redeem us. And of course, the other commandment that God gives to his chosen people is, and oh, by the way, after you give me your first fruits and your firstborn, After that, I want a tithe. That is, I want 10% of everything. And of course, as sinners, we say, well, 10%? Come on, do I really have to give you 10% of my property? But it's not our property. It's God's property. And what does God do with the first fruits, the firstborn, and the tithes? As I already mentioned, he makes sure that our neighbor is cared for. He makes sure that even if we aren't going to keep that commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves, he's going to make sure that our neighbors are taken good care of. But of course, the other thing that God does with us as saints when we give our first fruits, our firstborn, and our tithes, is he uses his property to go and rescue more sinners. That's why we give to our congregations. That's why we give to the churches. It is primarily because God has a mission, and we're a part of that mission. God wants to save and rescue every sinner and set them free from the devil. John writes in the first chapter, or the fifth chapter of his first letter, verses 11 and 12, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life.
So this is two chapters later in 1 John. If you have Jesus, you have life. If you do not have Jesus, you do not have life. It's a stark contrast. No gray areas here. It's either one or the other. And we all have life only because God intervened in our lives, sent his son Jesus and his Holy Spirit into our lives and claimed each one of us to be his children, to be saints forever. And having done that, he now wants to use us, everything that we are, everything that we do, everything that he has entrusted to us to go and reach other sinners, to give them life. Because if they don't have Jesus, they do not have life. That is the mission of the church. Bishop John tells says all the time, you know, why do, why do churches and congregations spend so much time fussing with drafting mission statements? We don't need a mission statement. It's given for us. The end of the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that, that I've taught you, my disciples. That's how God uses us as his property, as saints, here and now. He uses us to go and reach other sinners. Now, Pastor Jim gave me one more text, and he said that I could save it for later on, and we'll use it later on too, but I want to to read it now. It's from Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to read, he gave me the the 10th verse, but I'm going to start at verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Very interesting. I do not change. Therefore, you're not consumed. If I were to change, look out. It would be the end of all of you. (laughs) But thankfully, God doesn't change. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? God's response. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? God says, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then this is the verse that Pastor Jim gave me. Bring the full tithe. You know, not 9.5% or 5% or 1%, but give me the full tithe, the 10%, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That's the whole trajectory of all of those commandments to give the first fruits, the firstborn, the tithe, the full tithe. God says, 
Put me to the test. Find out just how good a God I am and how much I will bless you. Just stop robbing me. Stop stealing from me and claiming that which isn't really yours. It's all mine. Give the full tithe. Dare to trust in my promise that you will be abundantly blessed. Amen.